Coming up on the Children's Hour, we learn about the most ancient wind instruments of all, whistles and flutes, with our friends Dr. Crawford McCallum, Enid Howarth, and Ingrid Berg, along with our kids' crew. We'll learn about whistles and flutes through stories, songs, and poetry. You'll hear different types of flutes and whistles played by Ingrid Berg. And this episode is mixed with excellent music that is sure to get you whistling along. Stick with us for a whistly, fluty version of the Children's Hour. The Children's Hour is Kids Public Radio, produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. Find out more about us and see pictures and links related to this show at childrenshour.org. It's time for the Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio. What musical instrument would a cucumber play? I don't know. What? A piccolo. Uh.
That's The Whistler's Delight by DJ Rico right here on the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. Delighted to be with you as always. Today on the show, we're going to be learning about whistles and flutes. We have with us today a flautist and a musician extraordinaire, Ingrid Berg. Hello, Ingrid. Good morning. And also with us on the show today are our dear friends, Dr. Crawford McCallum and Enid Howarth. Welcome back to the Children's Hour. Good morning, Katie. Katie. Hi. We've also got a lot of kids in the studio with us today. Hello, everyone. Hi. And who's here with us? It's Gray. Yellow, which is Imogene. Hi, it's Elliot. And we have our friend Bryson with us. Hi, Katie. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about whistles and flutes and pipes. Did you know that in the Barbados Islands, there are whistling frogs? Really? Did you know that in ancient times, the Peruvian Indians made pots that when you poured water out of them made a whistling sound, just like Ingrid's doing? Really? Wow. Ingrid, let's talk with you a little bit about whistles and flutes. You're making these bird noises with these beautiful instruments. Where do they come from? Whistles are very, very old instruments. They were made by bone. With bone. This is a bone flute. They were made by wood. They put a little bead inside to make that spin. They were made by bamboo. I used my hand on the end of the bamboo tube to make that change in sound. Those were all one hold instruments. And they just look like little tubes is what they look like for our listening audience that can't see tubes with a hole in one end and sometimes a hole in both ends and sometimes a hole on the top. Yeah, what, what happened was, first they had long tubes, and they used their hand on the bottom to make the sound. It was used to communicate. Then they got a little fancier, and I think they started making whistles that were imitating birds. This is a Romanian cuckoo, bird made out of clay. Eventually, people started putting more and more holes in, uh-huh. and that's when they became flutes. They went from whistles, which were kind of high and shrill often and could communicate over long distances, to a many-hold instrument that you could actually play with a full scale. This is a clay instrument that looks like a walrus, so it's about the size of a sweet potato. And it's called an ocarina. That's really nice. And what's so amazing is it only has four holes on it. Incredible. So now we go from whistles to flutes. Let's hear what one of your flutes sounds like, Ingrid. This is still a very high flute. It's a whistle flute. (laughs) 
But that is still super shrill. In modern times, you have the bosom whistle, which was used by the bosom, one of the officers on the boats in the Navy, and it's made out of metal. That gets my attention. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was signaling. This is the time of day. This is the weather. This is whatever it was. It was used, you know, to, to make a, a communication between the boat, boatsman, and everybody on the boat who needed to know the information. So whistles were really used as a way to both imitate birds, but then also sound different enough from them so that people knew it was a person making that sound, not a bird. And often as a signal over long distances. I'm really curious about this other flute over here, this very beautiful one. This is a double flute. It has one sound, which is just solid sound. And then the other side has the full scale, of the Indian scale. So together it sounds like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a lot more to learn about whistles and flutes today with our guests, Crawford, Enid, and Ingrid, and our kids and our crew. But we're going to go to a little music. This is a very famous flautist. This is Jethro Tull right here on the Children's Hour. the 
mystical places like other nights on summer days. We'll find the speck of truth in each riddle, hold the first grain of love in our hands. So come on, I'm a whistler. I have a pipe and I come to play. Get ready for the whistler. I whistle along on the seventh day. So come on. Sing yourself a song When there's too much to do Don't let it bother you Forget your troubles Try to be just like the cheerful chick or D And whistle while you work Come on, get smart and tune up And start to whistle while you wait That cheerful chick or D, and whistle while you work. 
Come on, get smart, tune up and start to whistle while you wait. background Jazz Whistler by Alessandro Alessandroni and Alinan by Agnes Akuaku was before that and Louis Armstrong's version of Whistle While You Work. There's a lot more to learn about whistles and flutes coming up. Stick with us. You're listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio, and we'll be right back. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, an educational nonprofit based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're listener supported at childrenshour.org. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science, announcing Chocolate, the Exhibition, a multimedia science exhibit that engages the senses and traces the evolution of chocolate from a small bitter seed to the delicacy it is today. The exhibit runs through March 2023. More info at nmnaturalhistory.org. Support for the Children's Hour provided by Electric Playhouse, an immersive entertainment and events center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Playhouse is open. You can purchase tickets, learn about events, play, and other opportunities, including future locations and music shows, at electricplayhouse.com. Did you know that in Gamera, which is one of the Canary Islands, folks use a whistling language to talk to each other from uh, one hill to the other? Really? Far away. Wow. Wow. And the shepherds in Scotland use little whistles in their mouths to talk to their dogs. And I think Crawford has a story about playing the pipes to talk to animals and children. And the story starts with some mysterious writing carved into the wall of a very old house in the town of Hameln in Germany. Hemel is an old, old town. Nobody knows how old, at least a thousand years. And the house with the writing is over 400 years old. The writing is partly in rough Latin and partly in old German. And it says, Anno 1284 am Daga Johannes et Pauli, weil der 26. Juni durch einen Piper mit allerlei Farbe bekleidet gewesen, 130 Kinder verleidet bin in Hameln geboren, der Galerie mit dem Koppen verloren. And that means, more or less, 
In the year 1284, on John's and Paul's day, it was the 26th of June. 130 children born in Hamelin were led away by a piper, dressed in all kinds of colors, and lost at the Calvary near the Koppen. Well, nobody knows what Calvary and Koppen are. Not long ago, a note was discovered, written about 1440 in Latin on the back of an even older German manuscript, saying the same thing. And there are reports of a stained-glass window in the old church of Hameln, built before 1300, showing the children being led away. But that window's been missing since 1660. Well, today, Hamlin is a busy town, almost a city, situated on the banks of a broad, shallow river with rocky hills behind it. Something must have happened there on the 26th of June, 1284. Something so important that the date is still known today, but the story, mm, well, the story's been forgotten, except for the little bit Crawford already told you. So the story we're going to tell you now is mostly made up. Some parts of it must be true, but nobody knows which parts. 738 years ago, Hamlin was a prosperous little town and quite satisfied with itself. Its storehouses were full of grain, and its shops were full of cheese and butter. Its streets were clean, and its children were beautiful. But little by little, a serious problem developed. Rats. For some reason, the rats were becoming more and more of a real nuisance. They were eating the grain, leaving poop on the floors of the shops, and frightening the mothers when they put their children to bed. The mayor issued an order, Everybody get rid of your rats! But that was easier said than done. Some were trapped, and some were poisoned, but every year there seemed to be more. Well, one summer afternoon, a stranger showed up at the mayor's office. He was very tall and skinny, with a pointy reddish beard and a blue feather in his cap and a shy little smile. And he wore a most amazing coat with many, many colors. Maybe it was tie-dyed. Maybe it was old and full of holes that had been patched with a different color. All we know now is that it had allerlei farva, all kinds of colors. We call it pied today because that means many colored, and it sounds good with Piper. And indeed, he carried in his left hand a smooth and well-worn set of pipes. Now, the mayor was having an important meeting with all the other councilmen to talk about the problem of the rats. And he told his secretary to get rid of that silly young man. We're too busy. But the piper played sweetly on his pipes. And the councilmen all leaned back in their chairs and began to smile. And the mayor said, Come in, young man, come in. What can we do for you? Well, the piper explained that he had heard they had a problem with rats. He offered to have every single rat out of the town by dawn the next morning for only 1,000 florins. 1,000 florins, exclaimed the mayor. Why, we'll pay you 50,000 florins if you can really do what you say. He looked around and all the councilmen nodded agreement, except the bookkeeper who wrote in his book, <clears throat> it is stipulated every single rat. So even if one little one is left, we don't have to pay, hmm? Yes, smiled the piper, and he walked away, doodling a little tune as he went, 
While the councilmen looked at each other, surprised and pleased, and maybe a little nervous about the strangeness of it all. Well, as the sun began to set, the piper began walking up and down the streets of Hamlin, playing a sprightly tune upon his pipes. Soon, as he walked, a most amazing thing began to happen. Rats began to fill the street behind him. White rats, black rats, old rats, young rats, fat rats, thin rats, curly-tailed rats, and rats with straight tails. They all came out of their hiding places and formed a parade behind the piper. Around the town once, and then twice, marched the piper, piping and piping and gathering more and more rats as he went. And then he headed down the hill toward the river. Well, some of the children wanted to join the parade and begged their mothers to let them, but their mothers said, Ah, no, those rats are dirty and will bite your toes. Stay inside. The piper marched down the hill and right into the river and didn't stop. The water came higher and higher up to the third button on his colorful coat, but he kept his pipes above the water and kept on playing. Well... The rats didn't stop either, even when the water got too deep for them. Some drowned. Some tried to swim and were carried downstream by the current, and not one reached the other side, and not one went back. Before it was dark, there wasn't a single rat left in Hameln, and the piper was out of sight on the other side of the river. The next morning, the townspeople were delighted. There was not a rat to be seen anywhere. What a blessing! The bookkeeper scurried all over town, offering a hundred florins for a rat, even a little one, so that he wouldn't have to pay the piper. But he couldn't find one, not even a mouse. In the afternoon, the piper showed up again at the mayor's office, dressed just as before, though his clothes were a little damp. With his shy little smile, he asked for the 50,000 florins. But the mayor shouted, We haven't got 50,000 florins! You want to drive us to the poorhouse? You want so much for tootling on your little horn for a couple of hours? Outrageous! And with that, the smile left the piper's face. But he drew himself up very tall, and he said in a quiet voice, Very well. Then give me the thousand florins I asked for, and I'll be on my way. No, no, shouted the mayor. I will give you one hundred florins. Now, make that fifty, since all the rats are dead and there's nothing you can do about it. You'd better be grateful that we are so generous as that, and not make up a fuss. And the piper began to look very stern and very angry. And he looked all around at the councilman. And he said in a mean and scratchy voice, You will all be very sorry for this. One thousand years from now, the name of the town of Hamlin will be known across the world for what you have just done. And he strode quickly away on his long legs, taking him out of sight before the councilmen had recovered from their surprise and had 
the uneasy feeling that they had just made a terrible mistake. The next morning was Sunday, and all the grown-ups went to church, as they always did on Sunday, and the minister gave a long sermon about how they should all give thanks to God for sending someone to get rid of the rats, and to the councilman, and especially the mayor, for having the wisdom not to pay anything for the job. And as the sermon went on and on, nobody noticed that the piper had returned to town. But he had, and he was walking along all the streets, playing sweetly, quietly, a happy tune that was a little bit sad underneath. All the children put their shoes on quickly and came out to listen. Big kids, little kids, fat and skinny kids, rich kids, poor kids, red-haired kids, and blondes all began to follow the piper up and down the streets of Hamelin on that sunny morning, listening to the music and laughing and trying to get up near the front of the parade so they could hear better and keep up while the piper began walking faster and finally turned up the road toward the hills. One little boy who had hurt his leg and was on crutches couldn't keep up, though he tried as hard as he could, and he watched in tears as the parade got ahead of him and turned around behind a hill. By the time he got to the hill, they had all vanished, and for the rest of his life he wished that he could have gone with them, though the grown-ups all scolded him for that. They said he should be happy that he was the only child left in town. He was lonely because it was many years before the sound of children's laughter was heard again anywhere in the town of Hamelin. I found a whistle in a drawer in my room I never knew it was there I quickly went and closed the door to my room I closed the window with care I held a whistle in my two little hands I put my fingers on holes I put the whistle between my lips And then I tried a little blow And it played Mozart And Beethoven And the Beatles It played waltzes It played all the music in the world I showed my whistle to some good friends of mine I even played them a tune I let them try it first, I played them live I knew they'd catch on real soon They couldn't understand what made the thing work piece of plastic and tin But then they'd take it in their own hands And then the whistle would begin And it played Mozart And Beethoven And the Beatles It played waltzes And ragtime It played all It didn't matter 
never played before She'd simply try it and the player might see That if she blew it, the music flew through it If everybody had a whistle like mine Can you imagine the fun? We'd have a festival and promptly at night Play a song for everyone And they would hear us everywhere in the world And they would share in our song We'd try to banish every care in the world And ask the world to sing along And we'd play Mozart And Beethoven And the
just as I please And then away he flew song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. The Children's Hour radio show is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. Support for the Children's Hour provided by United Way of Central New Mexico. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is also provided by the City of Albuquerque's Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by Token Ibis, a nonprofit making philanthropy accessible to everyone. To sign up, go to tokenibis.org. This is the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. Today on the show, we're learning about whistles and flutes with our friends Dr. Crawford McCallum, Enid Howarth, and Ingrid Berg, along with the kids on the kids' crew. Over the break, you heard Beethoven's wig with the dance of the reed flutes from the Nutcracker Suite. And we had three in a row before that. Bobby McFerrin with Don't Worry, Be Happy. Maria Maldar had Hey, What Did the Blue Jays Say? And we started that whole set off with The Magic Whistle by Tom Paxton. Did you know that lots of different kinds of animals whistle, like dolphins and marmots and swans and some kinds of ducks? Really? Far away in South America is the greatest jungle in the world called the Amazon. And that's where this story about the whistling monster happens. Jamie Gavin wrote it. 
deep in the forest where wonderful creatures creep, crawl, swoop, and shimmer, where the Amazon River winds like a great serpent, lived a boy called Kanasa. Kanasa was always boasting how he climbed the highest trees looking for honey, how no one in his village was more skillful at catching fish. He often aimed his arrows at the birds of the forest, the parrots, the toucans, and the cockatoos, which annoyed them very much. One day a huge silver fish was sighted upriver. I'll catch that fish, boasted Kanasa. Oh, Kanasa, wailed his mother. Oh, Kanasa, wailed his sister. Oh, Kanasa, wailed his old grandmother. Don't go too far up the river or the whistling monster might get you. Don't worry, I'm not afraid of monsters. He painted his face and body to show he was brave. He filled a calabasa with fresh water and stored bananas and gourds in his canoe. And then, taking his bow and his sharpest arrows, Kanasa paddled away upriver. Now, he paddled for three days, but there was no sign of the fish. And then on the fourth day, he spotted it, shining like a moon and big enough to feed a village. Kanasa stood feet apart, the canoe so perfectly balanced there was not one ripple on the river. He fitted an arrow to his bow and aimed. Just as he was about to let fly from out the forest came a long, low, eerie whistle. <coughs> the sound froze his blood. He fell back terrified. Rising through the trees, he saw a coil of smoke, and Kanasa paddled ashore. Someone in this village might know who made that strange noise. He walked deep into the forest till he came to a group of mud huts. An old man was sitting nearby. Please, sir, what creature is making that whistling sound? asked Kanasa. The old man looked scared. Go home, boy, go home. No one who crosses the path of the whistling monster lives to tell the tale. Huh? thought Kanasa. I'm not afraid of monsters. And he decided to go back to his fishing. On the way back, the forest got darker and darker. His feet padded through the undergrowth. Other footsteps followed him. Kanasa stopped and listened. The footsteps stopped. Then he heard the whistling not far away. Kanasa began to run. The footsteps behind him ran, too. The whistling got louder. He could almost feel his breath in his ear. Kanasa fell in terror behind a banana plant and pulled its leaves around him. And then he saw it. It was horrible. It was worse than anything the elders in the village had ever warned him of. It was wildly hairy, tall as a giant with claws instead of hands and a terrible tail that thrashed about. But worst of all was the hole in its head. From out of the hole came the whistling sound. Canassa shivered. Canassa shook. The leaves rattled with fear. The monster saw him. Run, Canassa, run! screamed a voice in his head. Canassa ran. The monster followed, crashing and thundering behind him. The terrible whistling got closer and closer and closer. Help me, help me! yelled Canassa to anyone who would hear him. Birds of the forest heard him and cried, Why should we help you? You only aim arrows at us. I promise I will never again. So the birds decided to help. They flew in like a mighty wind, fluttering, pecking, and scratching. They ripped out the monster's hair and clawed his eyes. Kanasa ran and ran until he reached the river. He scrambled into his canoe and floated away. Above him, the birds wheeled like a rainbow. Thank you! cried Kanasa. 
No fish. Scoffed the people when he returned. No fish. Mumbled Canesta. But I saw the whistling monster and lived to tell the tale. Second grade wrote a poem about a kid who whistled. Really? Yep, his name was Kevin Ventioso. And the poem goes like this. I twist, oh, I am happy. I whistle in the wind. I spin soft. I need the sun again. I see the blue sky twisting in the wind. Oh, I am whistling in the wind. Yeah. And a grown-up poet named Mary Oliver wrote a poem about a swan that whistles. And it goes like this. Did you see it drifting all night on the Black River? 
Did you see it in the morning, rising into the silvery air, an armful of white blossoms, a perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings, a snowbank, a bank of lilies biting the air with its black beak? Did you hear it, fluting and whistling, a shrill, dark music, like the rain pelting the trees, like a waterfall knifing down the black edges? And did you see it, finally, just under the clouds, a white cross streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like the stretching light of the river? And did you feel it in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you, too, finally figured out what beauty is for? Oh, yeah. There's a poem by William Stafford that talks about whistling in a way that's very magic and hard to explain. And that's the beauty of poetry. You can say things that don't make sense in ordinary words, but somehow do when they're in a poem. They want a wilderness with a map. But how about errors that give a new start? Or leaves that are edging into the light? Or the many places a road can't find? Maybe there's a land where you have to sing to explain anything. You blow a little whistle just right, and the next tree you meet is itself. And many a tree is not there yet. Things come towards you when you walk. You go along singing a song that says where you are going becomes its own because you start. You blow a little whistle, and a world begins under the map. This is A Whistling Poem by Eliza Jane Pointevit Nicholson. Whistling through the cornfield, whistling a merry air, my feet are deep in the pea vines and tangles are in my hair. Old folks say it is unlucky for maidens to whistle, still, life is a rugged country and whistling helps uphill. And whenever my heart is happy, a whistle is sure to slip, cheery and sweet and mellow over my rosy lip. Oh, maiden with stiffy manners and lips looking prim and tart, far back in the days of childhood, your teacher was prudish art. But I went to school to nature, and air in my class stood high. The birds were my merry classmates. They whistle, and why not I? And what if I sometimes whistle? For that will you cry out shame? For that I am less pure-hearted, less womanly, much to blame? 
No, I'll whistle when I've a mind to. I'll whistle out loud and clear. I'll whistle up hope and courage and whistle down grief and fear. I'll whistle when clouds are murky and whistle when skies are blue. I'll whistle when friends prove traitors and whistle when friends prove true. And I'll whistle and whistle and whistle all through the fields of corn. I'll whistle at noon and whistle at night and whistle at early morn. And whistling, 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 I'll whistle my own way through. And whistling, 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 I'll whistle this song at you. In the background, Billy Kelly, and you've been listening to the Children's Hour. Find out lots more about whistles and flutes at childrenshour.org. I'm Katie Stone. We'll catch you next time.
Children's Hour is an independent production of the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit corporation. Our show is written by Katie Stone, with help from all of us and the kids crew. Find lots of information about us at childrenshour.org. Many thanks to Dr. Crawford McCallum, Enid Howarth, and Ingrid Berg for being with us on the show today. Our podcast can be found wherever you get your podcast, or at patreon.com slash the children's hour. Or ask your smart speaker to play the children's hour podcast. We post our photos and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at TCH Radio. Our theme music is written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by the Children's Hour Incorporated and the Public Radio Exchange, PRX, and the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. Thank you.